Uh, welcome back to the Spinner Rack here again at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. We are your hosts, Stephen with Nightmask number 11, and Andy, and I'll be talking about Psy Force number 11. So, started in 1986, the New Universe was an imprint from Marvel Comics that was dedicated to a more grounded and less fantastic approach to comics and world building. The idea was the world outside your window with real time progress and reasonably or cinematically realistic technology, physics, astronomy, and biology. Uh, Eight new comic series launched in one month, set in our world in 1986. And now as the stories continue through 1987, the world still largely doesn't know about paranormals, except a few secret agencies or rogue CIA agents. Um, With our podcast, you can follow along with us each week as we go through each comic in the order they hit the rack, or just check out individual comics if you already have a favorite. Uh, you can find us online at kickersinc.com, where we have a current sweepstakes where you can answer questions, uh, some upcoming more sweepstakes, and a slogan contest. Uh, all things where if you reply to them, you can win free stuff. Um, we are on Twitter at Inc. K-I-C-K-E-R-S-I-N-C, Kickers Inc. And uh, there's a good fan page, which we don't run, the Marvel Comics New Universe fans page on Facebook that you can also check out. All right. This week, I'll be covering Night Mask. Keith Remsen is a young paranormal who can enter people's dreams in the disguise Night Mask. With his sister Teddy as a psychic anchor, guidance from Dr. Lucian Ballad, and something from physical therapist Leader Mercado, he helps others at the Pallid Dream Clinic. In Nightmask number 11, can Keith Remsen's friend Dr. Lucian Ballad really be an evil voodoo sorcerer? What? Why not? <laughs> Keith's quest to discover the truth continues when, as Nightmask, he enters the darkest of the nightmare dream world to find out Voodoo in New Orleans is written by Roy and Dan Thomas, penciled by Kyle Baker, and inked by Tony DeZuniga. And shorter version, Nightmask number 11, the full story about Lucian. <laughs> that is a very short promo. <laughs> they, uh, they really uh, yeah, wrapped it up as quickly as possible. As far as I know, everyone from Haiti practices voodoo, so it just seems like he could very well be a sorcerer. We should did did you check because if we like go on to Wikipedia and it's like uh, religion uh, it's like you know two percent of uh, Haitians actually believe in this. They're all it turns out they're all Roman Catholics. I don't know. Something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so yeah. So this week I'll be talking about Psy Force, uh, and the solicit for uh, for this issue was uh, or I'm sorry. So first let's just mention what Cyforce is. Um, <laughs> what are you, Cyforce? <laughs> what are you, Cyforce? A force of teens? Um, so, avoiding trouble from street gangs and government agents, a group of psychic teenage paranormal runaways is bound together by a psychic entity called the Cyhawk, who they resent and fear. Uh, Wayne, Tyrone, Kathy, Stassi, and Michael. They have no name for themselves, but we call them Cyforce. Uh, so yeah, the actual solicit for this week's issue is a booby-trapped cave seals the Cyforce in a subterranean death trap from which their chances of escape are slim to none. 
A New Life, written by Danny Fingeroth, penciled by Bob Hall. So, A New Life in a Subterranean Death Trap. Maybe there's not a Psy Force issue 12 and they just all die this issue. <laughs> I was hoping that you end up in like Pellucidar or whatever that like underground world was. Man, <laughs> well, there's been enough underground worlds. So that doesn't sound like a very new university sort of thing. No, no mole people. Uh, I'm starting to regret this whole realistic take on things. I know, no I mole know. people. <laughs> Are you sure about the mole people? I don't know. We'll see. When we get to issue 25, all bets are off. There could be mole people. Uh, the, the short version, which actually adds to it, is um, this issue, find out who has been trying to kill the Cyforce. So, yeah, we actually will find that out. Ooh, yeah. And uh, there's a new Universe News. Their question of the month what to the uh, writers and editors was, would it, what would it take to make you to decide to put on a costume and fight crime? Uh, we, are, we actually also have some letters pages, too, we can look at, so... Extra bonus things for Cyforce. Even the ads are a little funky this month. We'll That's true. Chance. That's true. The wedding of the year. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember <laughs> and, that and one. Some upside down TSR advertisements online. It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, to be discussed. TBD. TBD. Right. <laughs> Don't want to spoil the upside downness. If you're looking at your your copy at home thinking, what the heck happened here? Was this printer's mistake? Clearly, this misprint makes it worth millions. <laughs> oh, well, let's jump on into our first book, Night Mask, number 11, which cover date September 1987 and probably came out May 26, 1987. And we get a bit of a recap starting off the issue, but... Um, this is a very tight uh, uh, follow-up to the previous uh, month's issue, number 10, where they started off with a, uh, what was it, Drums of Dambala? Yes. It was also called, in the, in the previews, um, Drums in Washington or something, or Voodoo in Washington, which is basically what it is. Um, Teddy and Keith... Um, were along with Dr. Uh, Lucian uh, Ballad. Uh, he got uh, notified from back home. He had grown up in Haiti and uh, he was notified um, somewhat mysteriously uh, as it turns out that his mother had just passed away. And he said there was some sort of a Haitian voodoo curse that he was uh, fighting or worried about or something. And uh, there was a few sort of um, Keith Meta, a woman at the hairdresser, and Teddy was flirting with Lita's brother, uh, subplots, but mostly it was uh, Dr. Ballad um, acting kind of strange, having a lot of a run of bad luck, and Keith um, having a strange dream where he was fighting a giant snake, not suggestive at all. <laughs> and um, seeing Dr. Ballad as a, like a voodoo priest himself. So uh, a lot of strange imagery and everything. Um, right. And then at the very end, like when they were on the plane, Dr. Ballad had to kind of, you know, run back to try and grab his briefcase. And then we saw him perhaps get kidnapped. Yeah. So we saw um, 
Teddy and Keith on the on the plane and Lucian running out into the airport and perhaps held up and kidnapped. Um, say everyone was on their way to a psychiatrist convention or a psychological convention where they was going to expose more of the night mask work to the public. Ah, oh, did I wrap up everything there? I think Sorry, so. we don't have time for today's episode. But anyway. right. something, something, night mask, night mask. Um, the cover has a um, another nice shot from Plunkett, and uh, it is a shot of Keith in his night mask outfit in a cemetery. I guess it has a kind of a magnolia, Mike Magnola quality to it because there's you know tombstones everywhere. Um, a lot of heavy shadows and uh keith is being uh tormented by a sort of spirit snake slash woman oath um in blue um it's a little uh you know it's good sort of a horror you know uh, ghost story kind of cover to it um yeah i think this might be my favorite cover so far yeah, the like the giant snake. I forgot to say in the last issue always like makes me think of Conan. He was always fighting giant snakes. <laughs> <laughs> um, this isn't so much like that, but it's a good uh, more yeah horror than uh, fantasy. Anyway, um, jumping in the new universe logo in blue. Yeah, mine's kind of green. Uh, I like it. Color terrible. Okay. Um, jump in and there's no splash page but we have uh, kind of a recap of the dream Keith had had the issue before that dream again same jungle same drums same with writhing white road that turns out to be a monstrous albino snake Dambala <laughs> boom, boom 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 there's all this like heavy drumming coming from inside the snake Keith jumps on inside the snake he swallows me whole. Okay. He gets down to the bottom where, again, he sees like people um, chanting, Kulev, Kulepopo, something, something, the voodoo dance. And their grim painted priest, Dr. Lucian Ballad himself, is <laughs> mumbling something. Voodoo talk. Terrible thought. The uh, inside of the snake, it kind of looks like one of those colonoscopy videos. <laughs> <laughs> there's people in there you're not they're drumming wrong. not wrong uh next page this you know lucian is uh confronting night mask and uh starts choking him yeah he says the very fact that you call me lucian tells me you know not who i am at all and that ignorance shall mean your death yeah it's good foreshadowing <laughs> so he's choking and uh suddenly we get like a half a splash page where it's just lucian uh waking uh keith up he's just sort of shaking him awake come on keith this is lucian taking talking to you for pity's sake you're having a nightmare it's just a dream so the but I uh, guess not lucian's dream because lucian's awake yeah, so that must have been just Keith's own dream, of, mm. which is sort of based on what he had seen in Lucian before. Yes? Maybe. 
no we're we're just making it up as we go along too so um nightmare <laughs> nightmare in new orleans by roy and dan thomas writers uh kyle baker penciler that turned out to be accurate and tony de zuniga hinker and we'd seen kyle baker do a few pages of murk ages ago but um he was more inking than penciling i don't know and i gotta say um once in a while you get something that looks like kyle baker's you know style from the time um but ordinarily like 90 percent of this issue is very sort of generic looking and it really doesn't look anything like um kyle baker style as i remember it um so either he's more flexible than you may think or the inker um you know transitions it into a little more realistic style or what but anyway kyle baker is a a well-regarded uh cartoonist certainly so uh it's another early work for him uh so keith is uh waking up and he's at the airport in um, New Orleans apparently and he had been uh, waiting for Lucian's plane to get in Lucian had taken a, a follow-up plane and um, he had to sort of apologize for dozing off and uh, Lucian thanks him for meeting him and uh, he's got his briefcase that he'd lost so he's ready to go like uh let's go get a taxi or a bus and uh lucian's like bus what kind of cheapskate do you take me for we travel first class all the way and that's a little suspicious i didn't really notice that was like lucian's primary um characteristic but keith is like pollution ballad i know has always been well let's just say frugal it's like if George Costanza was going to pay for everybody's check. Uh, something's a little wrong here. Werewolf check. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, 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 he goes and gets a limo that's uh, waiting for someone else. And he says, a uh, $100 bill, change your mind? Yes, it will, sir. <laughs> um, Keith is even more flabbergasted. Okay. Um, I can't trust a limo driver these days. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's standing there with like the sign with your name on it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was like a seal of trust. I know. Some rich guy's going to have to take a stinky cab. <laughs> um, so Keith and Lucian talk on the, in the limo on the way and to their hotel he says uh with all this uh, bad luck you've been having lately i thought maybe you decided not to go pro- public with the project night mask after all then you thought wrong bad luck things couldn't be better hmm. Hmm. About all it took was a that. mysterious kidnapping to get lucian's attitude turned right around i, I can tell you like right now is like I, you know, reading this, I don't know whether to be suspicious of Lucian or be like, oh, here we go again. The the, the writers totally forgot where they left off last time. <laughs> yeah, could be. 
So, you know, but this is, this is like a weird subtext in uh, the new universe is like, you know, even when it says, you know, to be continued and it, the next month comes in with the same people, you're like, are you really sure you know you're continuing the story from last month? Yeah. I mean, obviously, we both know exactly what the twist is. But, yeah, reading this the first time, I was definitely not not sure, not knowing what was going on. But I was thinking that, you know, obviously they did something to him, right? They kidnapped him, they released him, and he's, you know, voodoo brainwashed or, you know, some, something suspicious happened. Right, right. We shall something. see. So they get to the hotel and Teddy rolls out to meet them. Um, she's having a great time. And uh, they have a literally a jazz combo in the corner of the hotel lobby as they check in. Um, everyone's in a good mood. And it's a uh, convention just in this hotel, I guess. Which, uh, you know, a sort of a smaller professional convention you can have. Um, yeah, just in one hotel we go to. Um, been to some of those myself um it's all pretty convenient to, to have everything located in one place those like city convention centers are always kind of pain if you have to go to one of those and wander around aimlessly and then you have like a hotel on the other side of town because you're trying to save a buck yeah you got to figure out all the city stuff and deal with all the grifters and such <laughs> yeah much worse experience this this seems pretty cool um and uh, as they check in um, and are listening to the music, uh, Lucian's like, well, maybe it's time I loosened up a little, huh? And he starts kind of dancing around. And Teddy's like, I see it, but I don't believe it. Then believe it, Theodora. By the time this weekend's over, you're going to see a whole new side of Dr. Lucian Ballad. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Keith and Teddy are looking at each other with this funny expression and Keith's thinking to himself why does that sound almost like a threat somehow mm. whole mm. different side of Dr. Ballad sounds like a threat sounds like a mooning <laughs> you're gonna get mooned buddy mooned <laughs> pretty soon here it kind of ties in with the werewolf thing yeah it would have been, yeah if he'd have called it a mooning yeah, instead <laughs> of a night masking you're always running around night masking yourself. Why is that? Um, so uh, he says, uh, Keith says that they're going to go do some sightseeing, and uh, you, but you'll probably uh, study for your uh, lecture tomorrow, right? Actually, no, I think uh, I'd love to come sightseeing as well. What? And uh, then we have a couple come in, a uh, male and female. Um, dress professionally and they recognize uh, Lucian as well. Marilyn, look who's here. Hi, Lucian. It's been a long time. Doctors George and Marilyn Friedline, right? Spelling on Friedline is, I don't know what it is. It's like someone got messed up in, uh, on the line in uh, oh, what's the, sorry. <laughs> um, Ellis Island. Like, how do you spell that? Uh, never mind. I'll just make it up as I go along. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Um, uh, so he's he's uh, he's like, you two must be Keith and Teddy Remsen. We knew your parents quite well. Sorry to hear about them. Thanks. 
so yeah, all these professionals were in are in the same uh, professional circles as uh, Keith and Teddy's parents who were killed in the first issue. All of them psychologists or dream researchers or something. So um, Lucian, as we said, had talked about uh, coming clean with some of their new results. Um, how much of that they're going to believe, I guess, is the was the question, but um, so what's this new dream therapy you plan to reveal tomorrow, Lucian? You'll see nothing short of magic. Modest, isn't he, Keith? Why are you two here? Oh, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Hmm. Anyway, they, there's a pre-dinner. Um, Pre-conference dinner we'll see you at. And uh, well, yeah, haven't seen them in a long time. They're nice, right? I don't know. George is pretty stuffy, but Marilyn's more like my style, though. She can sack out on my couch anytime. <laughs> and the, that's like he's saying that as the elevator door is closing on them. And then you can see the Keith and uh, expression face like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the the uh, writer's um, advice to the uh, penciler. Make them look even more shocked on each page. <laughs> They're just missing the, uh, you know, the Home Alone two hands on the face thing. Like, oh, <laughs> what? What? So uh, Keith's thinking, like, what is going on? Uh, ever since uh, Lucian got his telegram talking about his mother died from a Mambo Matilda Lafont, um, must have some shook him up more than we thought. Anyway. They're wandering around shopping and the in the French market, and Lucian is translating French from the for them. Um, they get some. Uh, they want to buy some perfume for Teddy, and uh, Lucian brings it, breaks out his wallet, and then drops it. And uh, Keith is trying to help him pick up everything, and he sees that there is a small skull in his that he's dropped. Uh, Lucian's like, hey, good luck, peace. That's all. Better safe than sorry, you know? Okay. And keep in mind, last issue, Lucian was all, you know, voodoo is nonsense, non-scientific stuff, and now he's got mysterious good luck skulls in his wallet. I you know, I, I, I crushed I, that little tiny skull anyway. I looked at that, and it was funny. He said, you know, ever since I went to work for Dr. So-and-so, I gave up on all that hate, that Haiti voodoo crap. And he was actually saying the the doctor from like issue two, that he, um, he was like a, a big respected guy to him or something. Uh, okay. So it was like, I was surprised at that as well as like a callback to, uh, a correct callback. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, they are wandering through, uh, New Orleans, and they get to the oldest cemetery in the city. It's above ground cemetery. Um, very Han Rice looking stuff. And uh, they say, well, let's go ahead and take a look around. All right. Uh, Teddy thinks it's kind of creepy, but <clears throat> um, they uh, talk about how different, like multiple people buried in the same tomb. He's got a, a tour book or guide or something. And as they're looking at something, um, they're like, hey, back me up on this, Lucian. Lucian? He's disappeared, and they're standing alone. 
So they, uh, they're like, eh, we better find him. He's been acting weird all day. But uh, maybe he's just going to jump out and say, 800. No. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I don't know why that looked like that to me. But, um, it look, yeah. So like the word balloon, B-O-O, looks a lot like 800. <laughs> um, so, but they do see something, someone sort of flash by. And Keith has like a stunned expression again. I'm the one who gets the real start. The girl suddenly standing there in our path looks familiar. But before I can place that beautiful face, she bolts away. Um, Daddy and uh, Keith are like, well, let's just find Lucian and get out of here. What's he doing? And they find him making little chalk X's all over a uh, tomb. (laughs) Is he going off the deep end or what? The tomb is... uh, well, it's all in French. Marie, Philome, Glafion, Lavo, something, Paris, something. So uh, apparently he doesn't tell them anything and they um, smash cut back to the convention where they're going to dinner. Um, and there's a sign outside, Welcome Seaboard Psychological Association. Eastern Seaboard, something like that. Um, and... Uh, Inside, Lucian is making some bold claims at this banquet. Face it, my friends. All we psychiatrists can offer our tormented patients is overpriced sympathy. We're no better than primitive witch doctors, all wearing the mask of the new religion. Science! No, it's not like one of those sciences of religion kind of people, is it? Oh, here we go. You're talking my language now, Dr. Lucian <laughs> Ballad. You're, come on, man. Tell them where that we're, we're, yeah. Anyway, they're like, is Lucian trying to start a riot here? Sure got everyone's attention. He continues, it's high time we recognize the equality, the superiority of other disciplines. Haitian voodoo, for instance. Wow, this is, uh, this this would actually be like widely applauded in most uh, academic circles now. So what do you think so? Absolutely. They're like totally into like ethnographic uh, natural medicine and stuff. Yeah, I wonder maybe more medicine than psychology, but I don't know. But they've been doing uh, it for thousands of years. It must be right, right? You know, uh, they wouldn't be wasting their time. (laughs) (laughs) No no matter that it hasn't changed their life expectancy any. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you want like top quality medical care, you know enough to go to Haiti. Right. Yeah, that's 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 the number one place. It's it's well, it's funny that he he you know I mean he could he could get away with this with a lot of you know you know I don't say homeopathic but natural medical traditions people would be like oh yeah we we should respect that and everything but Haitian voodoo yeah I don't know that just sounds like zombies and. Versus just science itself, too. Not even psychology or medicine. He's just... He's, uh, I mean, you know, if you if you were talking to a number of, uh, like, like physicists or something, you could, you know, definitely shout him down. But if you're talking to psychologists, yeah, I don't know. Are we really much better than, than Haitian voodoo? I got to ask myself that sometimes, too. <laughs> um, 
Well, Interestingly, Jordan. like the Maryland character is like thinking that maybe he's just, you know, playing games, like doing kind of like a psychological trick, like getting everybody fired up and he's going to make some clever point. Yeah. Yeah. So her, her husband, George, is like starts arguing with him. It's, uh, superstition has no place in modern psychiatry. And but yeah, she sort of jumps to the idea that illusions kind of, yeah pulling people's strings just to get a desired response and that this is going to be, um, you know, he'll, he'll come back with, you know, some clever lesson out of it for his talk tomorrow or something maybe. So um, Lucian takes off and she catches up with him in the hall and is like, are you just uh, doing these to uh, sort of set people off and get, get under our skin? And she's like, uh, maybe it's, you know, we're all just flesh and blood after all. And, uh, she's like, uh, see, I knew it. You were just, you know, giving us a hard time and you'll have some, and then he starts putting the moves on her pretty strongly. <laughs> yeah. He does kind of like the, she's standing against the wall and he puts like both hands on e- either side of her, kind of like pinning her there. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't deserve a beautiful woman like you, Marilyn. Stop it, Lucian. Oh, I can't do the voices with my throat. <laughs> I'll like do it. This. Stop it, Lucian. <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to prove by this particular charade, but... <laughs> no charade, mon chéri. I just thought we might continue this discussion more intimately upstairs. This isn't like you, <laughs> Lucian. <laughs> now I insist. <laughs> Let her go! <laughs> So they're interrupted by uh, her husband, George, who um, rescues her by getting punched in the face. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of you, George. I'm not the one with the problem. You are. Fuck. Wham. <laughs> Had enough of Dr. Ballad's cure-all or do you need some more? <laughs> that's a I'm good a, line there. <laughs> I'm going to have to work that into. I'll give it to you there, Dr. Evil Dr. Ballad. <laughs> so, uh, he, he's uh george is hurt and uh Marilyn was like you're a changed man lucian and uh, only my former respect for you keeps me from calling the police right now let's get out of here and keith and teddy are there like what the heck um lucian's like uh, just george just took a little fall that's right into a fist like i said <laughs> um so Marilyn's uh, still kind of shook up. George is mad, but he's not going to pick a fight. And uh, Lucian keeps like shouting in triumph. Well, they'll see, be there tomorrow, you simpering wimp- weakling. I'll show you then. I'll show you all. <laughs> it sounds like Cobra Commander there. <laughs> you simpering weakling. <laughs> I mean, I can't quite tell what his, his, his game is at this point to... You know, if he wants to um, expose Nightmask or like embarrass Nightmask or what, you know, so the whole thing is like, yeah, what is going on? Just took some jerk pills in the morning. and Yeah, the jerk store called and they're running out of you. Yeah, so right. Because nah. you're their number one seller. Ah! <laughs> um, so we're back to the hotel rooms. Keith and Teddy are talking and uh, Keith says he he 
told the Friedman's Friedlines about uh, Lucian's mother dying and that he's been acting weird ever since, and that at least kept them from calling the police. But um, they, they, you know, they're like, "Why is he acting so crazy? We don't understand anything." Well, um, you, you, why don't you go to bed, Teddy? I'm going to um, not go into someone's dreams. <laughs> so. Keith goes to his I, I mean, he's making up weak excuses. Nothing we can do tonight. Night mask not, mm. not coming. Um, goes to his own room without Teddy as an anchor. He slips into dreams and he finds an iron gate locking him out of Lucian's dreams. Interesting. <clears throat> Didn't know anyone could do that. But anyway, uh, Keith wakes up and he's like, well, I guess I'm not getting into Lucian's head tonight. So soon he's back uh, dreaming again, but back in that cemetery he was in, St. Louis Cemetery, St. French accent on that. And uh, he's wandering around now as Night Mask. And he's like, now when he goes to this uh tomb that uh, Lucian was desecrating. He's like, Marie Laveau, even I've heard of the infamous witch queen of New Orleans. Hmm. Research department, did we do any look? I did, did you? I did not. Oh, it's good too. It's good stuff. Um, So yeah, Marie Laveau, uh, New Orleans, uh, she was like a big voodoo practitioner. She died in like 1881, so uh, quite a while ago. Originally, she was a hairdresser. What? Yeah, uh, she was. She was, and people think she was a hairdresser for like wealthy New Orleans families. And then she'd use the conversations that they would have, like the ladies and such, you know, to learn about them, and then kind of, you know, do like that cold reading stuff and kind of scam them with voodoo. And, you know, she would sell stuff and things like that too. But she was a big name, um, and tourists visit her grave or at least when they could openly and draw little x marks on the tomb in order to be granted a wish oh wow yeah so like supposedly you do that and then your if your wish comes true you're supposed to go back and circle it wow and like and that was maybe even like from marie laveau herself like that that's what she told people to do or something like that but yeah people actually will leave uh like hair ties in her former home in New Orleans. Like I think because the cemetery is closed, the church uh, church at the time um, didn't want you know, people kept messing with it and and such. Or uh, you know, yeah, yeah. A lot of famous tombs are uh, inaccessible now because of rude uh, visitors. From yeah, the century. Yeah. But hairdresser, because last issue, the woman who mysteriously showed up and cut Keith's hair and talk to him hairdresser yeah that's surprising interesting thank you research (laughs) yeah that wikipedia journey paid off nice so uh as keith is uh, as night mask standing there thinking uh what could connection could lucian probably possibly have he suddenly gets a uh, hand on his shoulder and a uh, face behind him i have a message for you what Sorry, it's like a girl's voice. I, I'm sorry. So limited today. 
<laughs> Sorry, yeah. Uh, give me a cue up when you need a high pitched voice. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to overtax you. Um, so this is as we were just saying, this attractive woman that we saw last issue. You now, I remember you are Martine, the woman who gives haircuts in Washington when she's not playing hide and seek in New Orleans cemeteries, right? There, take this. There is much danger afoot. Now I must go. He's like, what? She gives him a like a note, and uh, as he like tries to follow her through the cemetery, um, suddenly he's accosted by the giant white snake again, and we get a bit of a wrestling contest over a couple of pages with Keith and this. Um, I don't know. It's like the size of like in the movie Anaconda. I don't know. It's yeah, big, yeah. But it's not like he's walking on it big. And it's again this albino snake um, hissing. He's trying to avoid it hitting him and squeezing him out, but he's um, limited to these um, uh, um, not very um, amazing physical feats. He's kind of uh, just trying to uh, keep it from killing him. But it keeps uh, jumping at him and it wraps him up and he thinks it's going to uh, like bite his head off, but then it just uh, gets too close and he managed to get a arm free enough to smack it on the nose, loosens its grip, and he's weaseling his way out of there. And uh, just when it looks like it's coming back, it just disappears in a puff of smoke. Mm. Flash of light. Note to readers, if giant snake attacks, they're weak to uppercuts. Nice. So at this point, he's uh, still more mystified than anything, but he... um, can't see any sign of Martine. And he's like, well, this is my nightmare. But as a sometime dream crasher myself, I can sense that someone else is pulling the strings. Martine, probably. And that's when he remembers the note. He goes to look at her and says, eat me here at midnight. He's already here. So <laughs> at first I'm like, what the heck? He's in dream here. Oh, oh. So he opens his eyes and he's back in the real world. Um, and it's a quarter to midnight. So meet me here at midnight. He pops out of bed and it's like, well, sure, it's probably a trap, but what the heck? I like the shape of that bait. <laughs> um, he, he's uh, standing outside the cemetery and then he scales the uh, fence. Notably, um, like the gate in the dream thwarted him when he was trying to get into Lucian's, but then in the real world, he just hops the fence. <laughs> he's, he's getting more gymnastic all the time. And uh, it's like midnight. All right, Mitchie, wherever you are, come out. And then suddenly, hey, it's her. Um, she, it's almost like she materialized at the stroke of 12. All right, lady, I'm here. Mind telling me what this is all about? Keith, you scared me. I'm not going to do this. Keith, you scared me half to death. <laughs> and he's like, um, it's, you know, you already ran away from me before. And she says the strangest thing, only once really. The other time was in your dream. 
she knows she was in someone's dream. But you do know about it. You can stop playing coy. You're the one behind the bad dreams I've had the last couple of nights, right? Yes, I had to warn you. You see, your friend Lucian is in great danger. Danger how? You're a voodooist, aren't you? Is that really what you call them? Uh, okay. You do. <laughs> uh, that was a terrible voodoo pun. I'll bet you even work, work for that Mambo who's been threatening Lucian. Yes, I have come on Mambo Matilda's behalf. And he's like, well, is that why he's acting so weird with all your curses and everything? No, Keith, you're wrong. Mambo Matilda and I only want to help him. That wasn't a rational man we saw before um, making marks on this tomb. No, and it wasn't Lucian Ballad either. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. <laughs> what? It was his twin brother, Tullius, a voodoo priest of great power. What? What's- I was kind of hoping it was like Lucian backwards, but no. Oh, right. Wow. Really? Twin brother is a voodoo priest of great power? <laughs> this is so Scooby-Doo. This is the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> Hear me out. Zoics, he got kidnapped. <laughs> Lucian was kidnapped. Again kidnapped. with the one P. What is Marvel's house style? Always using the one P there. And he was kidnapped at the airport and transported back to Haiti by men serving his brother. Keith doesn't isn't buying it because he's like, wouldn't Lucian have told me if I have a twin? He has a twin brother. I don't know. Maybe it just never comes up in conversation that often. I don't know. So why would this Tullius ballad want to pose as Lucian? To disgrace him, ruin him in this country before killing him outright in Haiti. What? <laughs> that seems a little overkill. Like, if you're just going to kill the guy, like, does it really matter if you mess up his science career? I don't know. I can see it making people want, you know, less curious, like, what happened to the guy. Like, well, he, first he, he um, told everyone off at the convention and then he stormed off to another country. And then whatever happened to him, we don't care. So if he turns up dead, they're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm Dr. thinking, like, you kind of torture the guy, like, I mean, he's not going to know what you said at the convention. I mean, you could just lie to him a bunch and like, ah, well, guess how much I tortured and killed <laughs> Keith Remsen and, you know, this kind of stuff. I guess, yeah. Making a pass at Marilyn Friedline isn't going to, uh, I mean, you could just make that up, like you said. Yeah. yeah. Marilyn? She's not that attractive. Okay. Look. <laughs> um, so she continues that in Voodoo, Twins uh, possess but one soul. So if you kill your twin, you gain total control of your own soul for the first time. And seems a little greedy. Yeah. I mean, he's already a successful sorcerer with goons working under him, and he needs, he only needed half a soul for that. It's true. And Lucian's, you know, got his own clinic. I mean, for, for half sold guys, they're doing well. Yeah. So why do you have to like get in the way of your brother's? I don't know. So Keith is, uh, runs off to talk to Teddy. She's still uh, waiting for him in the cemetery. And when he gets back uh, to the hotel, he's like, I don't know what I'm going to tell her. Feels like everything's gone crazy. And maybe Teddy can make sense of it. And he's uh, knocking on her 
hotel room door saying to open up and the bellboy I haven't seen a bellboy in a hotel like in my entire lifetime so I'm not sure what this is giving off like shining vibes too like in the weird hallway where all the doors are like inches from each other (laughs) he's like hey fella you can pound on the door till dawn ain't gonna do you any good if you're looking for a girl in a wheelchair she and some black gentleman checked out an hour ago (gasps) what (laughs) next voodoo moon over Haiti Man, voodoo and another city combined. We are moving around a lot in this uh, at least three-part uh, story. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so yeah, quite a bit going on there. We got a big reveal. Big reveal. And as we... Evil just, twin brother we didn't see coming. Yeah, it's always the one you least suspect. The evil mm-hmm. twin you didn't know I had? Yeah, that's the one. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say about this except that I kind of like it. <laughs> Do you <laughs> love it? Yes, maybe. I mean, because I'm so confused by the issue, like, okay, there, there's some, I mean, you know, something's going on with Lucian, but you're like, how does this sync up with what we saw last issue? And then, I mean, yeah, the real world, that's actually not a, you know, completely crazy um, solution to a mystery. I think Agatha Christie would use it on occasion. Mm. Um, and My, Oh, good. No, it's, it's just like, uh, you know, an angry uh, relative or something uses their, you know, similarity to try to destroy your life. There's also this overtone of voodoo, which I wasn't quite sure how that was going to play in, like real magic or fakey magic or what. And so, you know, if you think of voodoo as being not so much like evil magic as being um, sort of mind control and like people doing tricks to control the population and things. I mean, more so than, you know... um, so, you know, and it can be kind of, of like psychosomatic, out. right? Like, you know, Lucian is really familiar with voodoo. So he knows about like the curse of not being there when his mother dies. And that's kind of like unconsciously causing him to like screw up and trip and get mad and all these things all the time from the previous issue, perhaps. Um, though the dream thing would be pretty different, right? So like, does Martine have paranormal powers? Possibly. Right, or is it definitely spiritual powers? There's something definitely like, yeah. Um, she's got some angle that, you know, she can meet Keith in the dream world when she wants to. So, yeah. Yeah. But that's Keith's paranormal power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Overall, I, 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 I found I enjoyed that as like a, a good sort of balance of these different, you know, realistic versus paranormal versus spiritual uh, angles. And I was kind of happy with how it, how it paid off there. So, okay. Yeah. My, when I read it first, I was really bored. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's basically just them walking around and Lucian acting weird, right? Like he fights the snake in the dream, but they've already done that. Like, so we fight. The, the fight snake. was not great at all. No, it wasn't like a good, action scene kind of thing the 
you know, when reading it again to take notes for the podcast, then I kind of looked up the Marie Laveau thing, which added an extra wrinkle and then kind of got me interested in it. Um, like, is she a ghost is my question. So like I'm remembering in, you know, when he first met Martine, which is similar to Marie, but not quite, um, he went and like got a haircut from her and then he was all mopey afterwards. Like no one said anything about my haircut. Like maybe he was dreaming that, mm-hmm. you know, like some sixth, sixth sense kind of stuff where like, she's not really there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's, that's, that's a big iffy one. Like this is the ghost of Marie Laveau trying to rescue him from voodoo magic kind of thing. Probably not, but you know, she kind of materializes almost. She's got these dream powers. She's kind of controlling the Dembala white snake. I mean, we've got a couple of names. Um, this Madame Marie that's in Haiti. Um, yeah. Maybe she's Lucian's sister. I don't know. Um, like, <laughs> um, yeah. But she so, also yeah. has an evil twin. <laughs> it's a- so um yeah i'm not quite yeah like whatever her connection is is still like up in the air but um it has a uh as you say sort of a slow very slow build but um yeah it's interesting i think the uh Roy thomas has some like degree in anthropology or something maybe he, like knows more about voodoo than realized so a uh uh, I don't know, a little bit of like realism and uh, spooky stuff together. And uh, I don't know, that's name mask for you. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like you say, probably my suspense was a little bit more because I'm still like, are they, st- are they doing it on purpose? Have they totally just lost the thread? They were doing <laughs> right. Right. Editorial screw ups. So, yeah, I should, perhaps I'm being not very charitable myself. I don't know. I, in the, in the end, um, yeah, boy, I should have wrapped that. I should have described that all a lot better considering how little actually happened in the issue. Like, should have been our fastest. There's a lot of talking. That's always, that's always the slow part for us. For sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, grade. Grade. You want me to go first? go for it all right c plus that's the best i can give you voodoo ballad <laughs> i'm sticking with the b okay um because uh, i don't know either um either the payoff's going to be great or i don't know i, yeah, I, if, I if there's a if there's a beautiful a woman haunting keith remsen's dreams i wish it was the one we already met <laughs> that was just two issues ago. Yeah. <laughs> Who is the mysterious woman haunting Keith's dreams? Every issue, no. there's a new woman haunting Keith's dreams. I don't yeah. know. So um, I would say it was definitely a fun one to review for the podcast. So, like, that was the 90% of my joy of this issue was talking about it now. So, <laughs> I got to say, uh, like I said uh, earlier, um, the art is actually rougher than the last couple of issues. So yeah, it's it's really on and off. Like there's some nice panels, and then there's some, you know, kind of bland or rushed looking ones. So don't know what to say. Yeah, some tug of war there, or maybe just rushed. Um, I gotta uh, if 
you know, Kyle Baker is, is great in many ways, but um, action scenes, not necessarily, or at least not ones with giant snakes. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I guess it's probably kind of hard to draw a cool action scene with a fight with an animal that has no limbs. What's it going to do? <laughs> <laughs> like I say, Conan had a sword, so I don't know, maybe it'd be yeah. cooler. That'd be cool if Night Mask had a sword. The Night Sword. The Night Sword, awesome. Or the Nightmare Sword. You have to like power blasts when. when oh, yeah, we never Teddy revisited was helping the power him. blasts. I don't know. I, don't I think he needs Teddy for those. And there don't was also Teddy. Yeah, there was Teddy Nightmask too, where she like was in the outfit in the dream doing stuff. So definitely that was like something I wish we would have followed up on, but you know. Untapped potential. <laughs> well, let's see. Um, we can save our universe uh, news cute question of the month till uh, the the end. Yeah, that sounds fair. So maybe we can take a break and come back with cyphers. Yeah, let's swing it into the break. Welcome back here again to talk about Psy Force number 11. So Psy Force 11, uh, same dates, uh, cover September 87, although it hit the rack uh, May 26, 1987. Um, and so last issue, the Psy Force went to, they, well, they found the reservation where Emic Proudhawk uh, had family and ran into his brother and his grandmother, uh, had some trouble with some goons. Ultimately, they were trying to figure out, you know, what is the Psyhawk, right? Maybe figure out uh, if this has some sort of spiritual meaning or what are they supposed to do, really? Um, and by the end, they had kind of be, uh, befriended Gene Proudhawk, uh, which was his brother. Uh, and so that's kind of where we're picking up for picking up this issue. And... So Cyforce 11 uh, cover, we've got uh, Wayne big on the page, you know, surrounded by an image of all of the other team members, all kind of trapped under some rubble. And he's using his mind powers to shout, guys, are you, are you guys alive in there? Answer me, answer me. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a little clue into the trouble of this issue. And all right, so open it up. We've got a traditional splash page of Cyforce where uh, worker safety issues. That's what we got going on here. Um, so Cyforce, this issue, we have Danny Fingeroth again. He's been our pretty regular writer. Uh, Bob Hall listed as on breakdowns and Al Williamson on finishes. Um, so we've got kind of a mix of art going through the issue. Uh, of course, we've got a nice little tagline on the top, created by Archie Goodwin and Walt Simonson. So, um, so we we're cutting like a few weeks after next issue, kind of keeping with New Universe's real time uh, Eagle Canyon Reservation, um, and basically starting this issue titled "A New Life." 
as Wayne falling off some large wooden scaffolding saying, lost my footing, no. Um, so the rest of the kids are, are building something like a water tower and it's kind of hard to tell. Um, and there's a bunch of, uh, you know, citizens of the reservation nearby as well, you know, kind of watching him fall. Uh, Kathy thinks quickly and uses her telekinetic power to kind of like slow him down and push him into some bushes. Um, so she kind of slows his fall and directs him to a softer landing. Um, hopefully, or, or mostly without anybody noticing here at this point. So nothing too overt. Yeah, not too bad. So we can kind of, again, we talked about it before, we can kind of see their powers. So there's visual cues in the comic, uh, but the people can't see these, you know, psychic blasts and such other than uh, um, Tyrone's astral form, which is visible and not invisible. Um, so yeah, they kind of whisper and, and talk, and, are you doing okay? Do you need to be healed? And uh, I, I like Kathy's you know, Wayne says, I owe you one. And she's, uh, um, I owe you big calf. And she says, I'll settle for the new Phil Collins tape. <laughs> nice deal. <laughs> I, I wasn't being literal calf. Really. <laughs> Getting you nothing. <laughs> uh, but there's a guy holding, I mean, it looks like a power laser. I think it's supposed to be a chainsaw. It's kind of a strange uh, representation of it. He says, there's, Thinking in his head, there's something about those kids, something that makes me real suspicious. Hmm. Uh, but surprise, uh, in the new from this issue, there's a girl. Uh, you can tell she's Native American because she's colored bright red. Uh, it's the 80s. So the, so we're okay with that <laughs> in the 80s. Um, so she's running to Wayne. She's Wayne, you're all right. And sure am, Jenny, come here. And she gives him a big hug and a kiss. Um, so yeah I guess Wayne's got a Native American girlfriend now uh, she's like I'm going over to my folks house for lunch Wayne see you later okay babe <laughs> so, all right. Wayne's never been uh, I've never seen so many smiles on Wayne in my this, life this is happy Wayne but will it last <laughs> is the question <laughs> what could possibly go wrong nothing could possibly go wrong <laughs> boy um, so the kids kind of like fill us in, you know, they've been hanging out, uh, working with Gene, uh, doing physical work, going to the high school here. So, you know, kind of assimilating into the society there. Um, uh, little Michael is eating like a peanut butter and jelly with the crust cut off, which is, I think is also kind of funny. Um, and yeah, Wayne is happy. So Tyrone's like, look at him. She's even got him working on her car. He's like, oh, come on. This jalopy was born the same year she was. It needs attention. So, Wayne, that's a 1979 Buick. You're under arrest. <laughs> Wait, how old is Wayne, though? <laughs> he can drive, I think. Yeah, true. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so they're kind of like sitting out in front of a building, you know, on a picnic table, you know, eating and chatting and snacking. And then the uh, the suspicious guy from before is kind of acting suspicious, honestly. He's peering for, at them from around another building. He says, hmm, it's time I reported on these brats. So this guy's up to no good. Um, so we cut to him in his home uh, with a hat on, drinking a beer. Uh, so he's called someone. He says, yeah, well, 
So ever since last year, you started paying me to tell you if Emmett Proudhawk came back here. I've been keeping an eye out. Well, he hasn't shown up, but five teenage kids asking about him have, and they've become ch- chummy with his grandmother. Um, so uh, it says, you want me to do what? Oh, well, that'll cost you big. A million? Start sending out condolence cards. Uh, so I think they just got a hit out on them. And then we cut to the guy on the other end of the phone has been our uh, antagonist who has always been shadowed. So we've seen him a couple times. Uh, he sent Psy Stalker Thomas Boyd against the Psy Force a couple times. Uh, he's kind of recapping his failed assassinations. Um, but he gives us some really good information here, finally. So um it's time for them to finally be eliminated he says i thought i'd get rich by selling the kids files that emmett had compiled for the cia to various interested parties so we kind of got we we'd known a little bit about that but we didn't know what his plan was and it's just to make money um he says i did get wealthy but those kids are still around i was certain by now a government corporation someone would have captured or killed them but no one has The possibility of them discovering what I did left me no choice but to deal with them myself. Uh, So then he kind of recaps trying to kill them. So I sent Thomas Boyd, who I'd retained for my own service, uh, but he was defeated and then he rebelled against me. Um, So Thomas, also a liability, must be eliminated. But even his death can't guarantee my safety. So he's trying to basically kill everybody to cover his tracks. Um, And then, of course, he has a picture of Emmett, like... Uh, a framed photo um says ah emmett all my plans seem to be backfiring if i don't take care of my mistakes quickly and efficiently i may well be joining you in death as we were so often together in life what (laughs) i gotta say though like dreamy photo that he has i'm like because you don't hear it you know it's just words on a page so Sometimes comics will do that reveal like, oh, it was a woman the whole time. You just didn't know that like this, read this in a woman's voice, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it does, you know, it always looks like a guy from the shadows. I don't know. Yeah, it looks like an older man. We'd even kind of like speculated like it was Emmett's boss in the CIA or something like that. Um, But yeah, he's got like a hunky dreamboat headshot. (laughs) (laughs) So as we were so up. It's funny he says that like he was uh, paying this uh, the guy on the reservation to keep an eye out for Emmett Proudhawk, even though he was there and or he knows that Emmett's dead. So right. it's like maybe he just never bothered to like shut call off that deal, or maybe yeah, maybe he's he doesn't trust like you know there's something else going on that he yeah. snuck around or something but if, if this guy's covering his tracks so hard the guy he just paid to knock off the kids is gonna be killed right yeah. i mean it's probably true yeah, yeah. like that would be the most the that guy could incriminate him any way worse than you know the problems from selling a list of kids you know <laughs> yeah it's funny the i mean as he puts it i mean these people you know, governments or corporations gave him money for the list of kids. So you'd think the like they want to have these kids alive or something to study. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean the original issue was the Russians basically trying to do that, trying to uh 
capture uh, and keep keep these mm-hmm. kids essentially, but it didn't work out so well. And we haven't heard from the Russians since, really. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So so back in the comic, we see our uh, suspicious construction guy, John. John. That's all we got. Right? Yeah being more suspicious so he, he kind of breaks into uh, uh, the construction foreman's office steals some uh, dynamite <laughs> so then like looney tunes looking sticks of dynamite with a grin on his face like handfuls of this stuff and i'll be banking my first million <laughs> so uh-oh i guess we know where all that rubble comes from from on the cover uh, so you know i like his optimism my first million Oh, that came from killing kids. My second and third million came from wise investments. I don't know. I think it's just one million per per five psychic kids you blow up. I I mean, there's bound to be more. (laughs) (laughs) So so the book cuts to uh, Emily Proudhawk, who was his grandmother, um, and... Uh, Jean Proudhawk talking and you know they kind of recap too uh, you know she's she's saying a prayer for the kids uh, telling him to be very careful she's already lost one grandchild um, hoping hoping that does not lose another um, and then we cut to Jean and so I, I guess he's been training them uh, off in a abandoned cave what could go wrong um, and you know basically just you know teaching them how to use their powers so you know he throws some shield looking piece of pottery i don't know what it is uh it's kind of like a it looks like captain america's shield but it's maybe a bowl of some kind uh and you know so training michael's explosion power so it's flying through the air he hits the target training kathy's power and she grabs all the pieces and is able to almost like form them together into like a rough shape of the broken pottery um which is probably actually pretty impressive for her power um and so when he says all right let's try tyrone you use your astral form and see if wayne can mind control your astral form right like testing their limits uh and but wayne's not having it he's like forget it Uh, you've been after me for weeks to use it i'm not doing it my powers are dangerous i don't want to fool around with them um you know gene is arguing that you know well you know the the less the more you can control these things the less problems you're probably going to have right stop hating them and fearing them you know you you can learn how to do it and, and then you know maybe get back to some sort of normal life uh wayne's not having it you know i know how to use them um what i want is for is to forget i have them anybody hassles me i can use my fists right so keep that one in mind for later Anyone hassles him, he can use his fists. Um, so argument is not working per se. And then the kids start bringing up that it's, maybe it's about Jenny. You know, you just don't want her to know that you have powers because then she's going to dump you because you're a weirdo. <laughs> um, ooh, ooh. <laughs> sorry, you can't hit those pitches. <laughs> And then Astral Tyrone is, I bet what's really bothering Wayne, if Jen finds out about his power to make people do things, she might think he's pushing her to love him against her will. And that observation, which is kind of spot on and and unfortunate, um, 
you know, trips off Wayne. He says, Shut up, Jessup. I never do that. Never. And he dives at the astral form, perhaps not thinking, uh, just basically thumps into a wall because Tyrone's not actually there. Um, so, yeah. Wayne, Wayne's cool, guilty conscience, perhaps. <laughs> oh, I hope not. Oh. <laughs> he's, he's finally happy. Let him be happy. Yeah. <laughs> So he calms down a little bit and he's like, you know, she's the best thing that ever happened to me. I don't want to get it messed up. I'm never going to tell her. Uh, you know, basically storms off and they go back to training. And and we get later that evening at the Desert Dairy, which is an awesome name for a, a diner, I would say. <laughs> I can get behind it. Um, you know, he's in a convertible with uh, Jenny, his new girlfriend, sipping milkshakes. Uh, she's happy resting her head on his shoulders you know he looks kind of sad and worried uh well doing the right thing not telling her i know i am right this Uh, is the most uh james dean he has ever looked oh totally (laughs) yeah and then but then we get some shouting so you get a no please don't hurt anybody and he stands up, he's in the convertible, you know, kind of looking into the diner. They were sitting in their car outside, you know, so it's lit inside and there's some goons holding up the place. Um, and, you know, all anything you can do, you can solve with your fists, right, Wayne? Um, so he's not sure what to do. Uh, he's thinking, all right, Jenny, stay back. And he's thinking to himself, I'm unarmed, outnumbered. I should just keep my nose out of this. What if they hurt someone and I could have prevented it, right? So that's the dilemma, the the great power, great responsibility thing. Um, It's like, whatever I do, I can't let Jenny realize I have this power. So he's thinking about it, trying to figure out what to do. And then, you know, from behind him, Wayne, no. And so uh, ski mask goon number three, four, number four, He's got Jenny's like a handful of her hair. Before you get any ideas about playing amateur hero with me or my pale son, consider the consequences. Oh man. <laughs> so maybe this guy should have considered the consequences though, because he's up against the angry wane of Cyforce here. So he freaks out. He's like, no, friend, you consider the consequences. Let her go now. So he's screaming, takes control of the guy. Uh, your brain, your whole body hurts like it's on fire, doesn't it? I mean, this is—he's not saying this out loud, but it's—I think he's psychically projecting to the guy. You know, Jenny's freaked out, but the guy drops her and drops his gun. Then um, he reaches his with his powers into the diner with three guys with shotguns um, and has them stop, cock their weapons, and point them all at each other, like he's just going to wipe them all out. Uh, and he says, I can sense their fear. They deserve it, the rats. I'm so angry I could almost make them do it. No, Wayne. Easy. Happy Wayne must displace angry Wayne. <laughs> um, so he kind of regains his cool a little bit. You know, nobody knows what's going on, but he basically has them drop their guns, say, oh my gosh, we're sorry, we're just scumbags, and then fall asleep. <laughs> so all, as the uh diner folks you know had just been held up by these guys you know some really strange stuff's going on uh, jenny's freaked out but she doesn't know what's going on she's like what had just happened she's like uh maybe they're on peyote or something <laughs> don't worry <laughs> it's just a reasonable explanation it's probably the best you could come up with 
Um, it's like, don't worry, you're safe with me. Um, and, you know, we see the diner owners or, or customers kind of tying up the sleeping goons. Wayne taps on the glass and points them to the, to the last one who's outside. Um, basically, they just peel out and, and take off out of, out of the dessert to dairy. Uh, we will never know if she finished her milkshake. I do like that a very subtle uh, part of like just the tapping and pointing like, you know. Yeah, it's a nice little detail. <laughs> yeah, usually they, they explain things. Like... So, I mean, Jenny is the fawning girlfriend, right? So she's, you know, a tall, thin Native American. She's got the kind of like stereotypical pigtails. You know, she's got her shirt tied up with the belly showing and she's fawning over Wayne. She's like, I feel better already just leaning on you. Mm. <laughs> Uh, of course, he's put out, right? You know, my power just he's thinking to himself as he's driving off and he's driving her car and she's snuggled up into him. As my power just saved us both and other people too. Maybe Gene's right. I should accept it. Let him try and train me better. Maybe I should even tell Jen about it. No, that would ruin everything. Everything. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so... Uh, back to the cave, the, the kids and Jean are having a snack while they're in there. So they've, they've been hanging out in this cave for a long time. Seems uncomfortable. Um, you know, they're still training Michael by like having him try and make explosions where Tyrone is flying in his astral form. Uh, it goes a little wrong when he hits a stalactite. Um, so some of, some of the stone starts crumbling down and falling, uh, towards the rest of the kids, but, um, Kathy can kind of stop it and and uh, get it out of the way uh, before it crushes anyone to death. So this is not our rubble from the cover just yet. Wow, Kathy, that was like a geological uh, wonderland. And uh, <laughs> you and Michael have destroyed it in 10 seconds here. Oh, well, well, I mean, I mean uh, didn't Gene know better if this is his tribal land? I, don't know. I suppose so, yeah. Actually, you know, originally I thought this was like a mine shaft or something, but yeah, it's all this like natural formation down there. Yeah, it doesn't quite look mine shafty. But also there's like, I think, construction and blasting and dynamite and stuff. So I don't know. Well, nearby, uh, I don't know. Convenient for the plot cave. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I think growing up like playing Dungeons and Dragons gave me like a really uh, inaccurate view of how many caves there are in the world. You know, it's like half <laughs> of the things, like everything has caves. It's like, but really, you just go outside of town, and you know, you there's like the, the market where you buy your swords, and then like dungeon entrance is just like a hundred yards away. Yeah, yeah. Why would they put the town so close to the dungeon? Hmm. Yeah. I don't think we can sell all the stuff to the adventurers, I guess, as long as you have a steady stream of them. That's the secret. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah. Well, okay. Maybe it's quitting time. Um, before, and uh, Gene starts telling a story. So, you know, so Michael feels bad because he almost killed everybody. Uh, he says, don't feel bad about it. making a little mistake. When I was your age, I used to make all sorts of mistakes. Big ones. And the guy who always made me feel better was my big brother Emmett, who you killed. Wait, no, that didn't. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say that. He says I can remember one time. Uh, so he tells all these stories. Um, you know, they were crossing a fast-moving stream over on a log uh, as kids. You know, maybe like twelve-year-olds. It kind of looks like. Oh no, he says eleven. 
I was nine, Emmett's 11. Um, and so Emmett is the responsible one, you know, Emmett Proudhawk from the beginning, who got all these kids together. Uh, Gene is apparently the not so responsible one. And so he slips and falls, but uh, Emmett grabs him and saves him. Uh, perhaps less serious or perhaps more serious. Gene's uh, making fun of grandma's cooking. He's like, it smells like a recipe for old socks. <laughs> uh, but before, before she smacks him with a stick, uh, uh, Emmett takes the, takes the blame for it. Uh, so he says, yes, I was always messing up. And Emmett was always saving my hash. What? My hash? Is that a saying? He's like, but talk um, about screwing up in a major way. You want to hear about our old pal Derek Shining Star, who probably won't become important to the plot later. Uh, he says, who I bring up for no reason at all. No I reason. Do, uh, says, I know lots of people. Yeah, don't worry. There's like <laughs> hundreds of men in my life. <laughs> so he didn't start out as a pal. You know, first we when we were teenagers, he caught him trying to steal grandmother's car. And Emmett was mad, so he beat would have beaten him to a pulp if grandmother hadn't stopped him. Says after that, ironically, Emmett and Derek got to know each other and became good friends. And then we got an upside down ad for TSR. Uh, but yeah, says Derek wasn't a bad kid. He just had it tough at home, being punished by his dad, his mom dead. Emmett became a big brother to him, right? So you know they became close, um, and also so you know he decided to kind of stick around and do shaman training gene did emmett and derek chose to go into the cia so they were both cia interesting uh so they were all over the, the globe the picture here where you have these two native americans meeting i don't know like a soviet spy in germany they wouldn't stand out at all <laughs> Why would you even do that? I don't understand. Um, yeah, yeah maybe it's, it's Switzerland. I don't know. <laughs> it, yeah, it's like there's like a the sign in German behind them, and I'm just kind of um, vamping from the yeah, yeah architecture, but right. <clears throat> so it's still Cold War Germany, you know, but uh, or whatever Europe. Yeah, and you yeah. have Soviet whatever spies are running around, and why? Being two Native Americans be running point on some, you know, mission is kind of left to the reader. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Whatever. So much for having German spies, but whatever. Um, so, so yeah. Just, hey, Gene, whatever happened to that Derek guy? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Imagine he's still with the CIA, but I don't know for sure. Funny, he never contacted me after Emmett's death. Must be an important undercover mission or something. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> but then, uh, interruption. So John, our suspicious construction guy slash new, almost newly minted millionaire contract killer, uh, has has figured out that they were in that, spending a lot of time in that cave. So he's got a little detonator. Says, I don't know what they do down there, but that's not my concern. All I know is the only thing standing between me and a million bucks is the press of a button. So presses that button. Uh, we get a countdown from 10 to 1 and then a huge explosion. So shwoom. <laughs> and boom is big enough for Wayne to see. Perhaps he was coming back there. Uh, maybe, I don't know if Wayne was coming back to, you know, see the 
rest of the rest of the kids or not but either way he sees the explosion and starts driving for it um and jenny doesn't know what's up you know she's kind of left in the dark here uh, but wayne arrives on the scene and it's just smoking piles of rubble so they were probably pretty deep in the cave and he doesn't really know where they were uh, but he can mentally scan so he's kind of ignoring jenny scanning and finds them all so it's kathy pinned in horrible pain I found Mike's mind. He's trapped. He can't move. Stasi's barely conscious. Tyrone's being crushed, losing circulation. And Gene, he's nearly gone. So you get little images of each one of them all kind of wrecked up. Um, though they can recognize that Wayne has kind of reached out to them. Uh, so there's a lot of, Wayne, you're here. I can help. <laughs> Wayne. Wayne. Yeah, yeah that's, that's actually a pretty good uh, use of your scratchy <laughs> voice there. Oh, awesome. I finally came in useful. Yeah. <laughs> it was the first time for everything. <laughs> when we need someone to sound like they've been crushed by rubble. Ah, <laughs> so he doesn't really know what to do, right? You know, I can't die because of us. Um, so he's got to do something, but what? All right. A bunch of people run up, you know, to try and help. Uh, but you know he's he's again he's afraid of kind of revealing his powers so he uses them to turn them around and make them walk off um and jenny's like you gave those men orders and they just obey like zombies did you do something to them wayne what's going on she she's uh totally ignored by him as he's panicking and freaking out and trying to figure out what goes on um so he reaches out to tyrone he's like tyrone we need a plan what are we gonna do uh so we gotta get those rocks off us that's our plan fair uh tyrone's the smart one okay (laughs) um so they come up with uh of course uh as as he's freaking out about how jenny's gonna figure out what he's doing um and basically you know so wayne can't pull it together but tyrone takes his takes to his astral form and flies up out of the rock pile um and says you broke contact what's going on he's like uh my girlfriend (laughs) you know um there's some good like it's good art here at the bottom um where it's a lot of like panel panel transitions of everyone sort of trapped and yelling at wayne and his girlfriend yelling at him and everyone's he's kind of like ah yeah, just you know, too many, too many things to keep track of, and he can't hold it together. Basically, Tyrone um, mm-hmm. kind of shocks him out of it. You know, it's like we need to figure it out. And Tyrone says, "Kathy's probably our best bet." You know, and Wayne says, "But my mental scan shows she's frantic and in great pain. Even if I push her to calm down, it might not be good enough uh, to do such exacting work." Um, so um, you got a little power synergy here. Wayne links up with Tyrone. Uh, or astral Tyrone, which apparently he can do. Too bad you, you might have known that already if you were, had done your training with Gene. Um, but so Tyrone kind of swoops in and finds Kathy, you know, so that she feels a little comforted that someone's there. Uh, but she's I don't want to die, Tyrone. She's like, stay calm. Wayne will tell you what to do. She's I'll try, Wayne. So I'm here, Kathy. You have to lift the debris, but carefully, slowly. If you can't let, and you can't let any of it drop, right? So. Yeah, she's out of it in pain, but she had been training these powers, so does a really good job. Basically, as they talk her through it, she lifts up all the rubble that's around them, like this huge pile of rocks, right? 
they pan out and it's just a giant uh, pile of rubble that was sitting on them. So even though she's in pain, she was able to lift it up, you know, kind of send it off to the side and drop it. And like she did it. And so everybody's uncovered. Um, and again, they're finally kind of working together uh, pretty well for the first time. So Stasi heals herself. And then sets to starting healing the others. Um, Michael seems like probably the, the least injured as far as things go. Uh, gets them all healed. Uh, Eugene Proudhawk is pretty much unconscious, but she heals him. Um, and he, you know, she had had felt originally kind of useless because how do you train healing powers in this like action cave thing? Uh, she's like, and so Gene comes out and says, like, hey, you finally got to use your power. <laughs> Um, but yeah, to rescue them all. They, they kind of work together, uh, save the day. Um, you know, Wayne, Tyrone, Kathy, uh, Stasi. Uh, I guess Michael didn't really do anything, but he's alive. Uh, Gene didn't die. Um, but now it's time for a little bit of a, a girlfriend reckoning here. So um, she's walking with him. And it's like, Am I going crazy or do you have some sort of mental powers you used here and back at the restaurant? Like some sort of hypnotism thing. Uh, and your friends, they've got weird powers too, unless I'm imagining it all. And so he comes clean, says, you're not, Jenny. I have this ability. I hope you can accept it to push people, to make them do what I want them to. And she freaks out what <laughs> don't touch me how do i know you're not using it this push on me you haven't ordered me to love you oh sorry wayne <laughs> thus the end of happy wayne like, but jen i never no stay away from me stay away <laughs> so as she's running away he does finally use his powers on her and says stop she freezes up says wayne tecker can do anything he wants with the mind of jenny sky tower hey we got a last name oh wait i missed it completely wow yeah i missed it too uh, he can make her forget all she's seen he can make her run into his arms and kiss him he can make her love him again but he can't change what happened and he can't deny that it could have all happened again oh <laughs> go home jenny forget about tonight and forget you ever loved anyone named wayne tucker Ooh, turning the screws there, Wayne. Ouch. So sad, Wayne, slumped shoulders, hands in pockets. Ugh. So not happy times. Then we go to the morning. Um, everyone's happy, sort of except Wayne, but they're ready to shove off. You know, says, you guys don't have to go back to San Francisco. Uh, this is Gene. He says, Some, someone dangerous knows we're here, Gene. They almost nailed us and you. It's not safe or fair to your tribe for us to stick around. And besides, I think it'd be too painful for Wayne to stay. And Graham was like, we understand, children. May your journey be a safe one. And then we get... She yeah. wanted him gone anyway. She did. <laughs> she knew it. Um, and then we're, We've moved from angry Wayne to happy Wayne to now sad Wayne, though. And he's kind of just looking totally wrecked and put out, holding his backpack strap. Um, and, you know, much like the empty promises of the skipper, you know, Gene is like, you know, these <laughs> allies, they're so alone in this world. Easy prey for those who would mislead or destroy them. Uh, I'll be there to watch you, kids. Perhaps I'll, I'll be there. You in the world. Yeah, right, man. We heard that before, Gene. <laughs> uh 
Uh, but then the the last couple panels says so we get the uh, suspicious John guy construction worker John uh, I don't know how it happened they should have been buried under a mountain they all turned up in one piece gone back to San Francisco and he's like you did your best John but our deal was for payment for a specific service however I will pay you for travel expenses and costumes. <laughs> And we stole the dynamite, so I don't know what the costs are going to be. Pretty reasonable, though, when you think about it. It is very nice, yeah. It's like, you just submit your receipts and I'll get it taken <laughs> care of. <laughs> I need that itemized, John. I'm sorry. But... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where is right. Anyway, so the children are in my ballpark. I'll deal with them. So he says, continue watching the Proud Hawks. Don't contact me unless anything unusual happens. And then uh, the shadow shrouded figure feels a chill race up his spine. He knew the five children were powerful, but he hadn't realized until now just how powerful they truly are. And this real realization makes Derek Shining Star what? all the more determined to destroy them. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> And in case there was any question of whether or not he was in fact a Native American, he's colored bright red. So <laughs> this is Derek. He's supposed to be Emmett's best friend, but wow. I certainly like didn't expect him to be the secret guy. <laughs> well, we didn't know about him until this issue. So <laughs> yes. I like that we finally know, though, right? We have a villain revealed. I've been waiting. Like, you know, who's this guy? Like, what's going on? I'm like, okay, well, he's got a connection with Emmett's past. He's his old CIA buddy. It's a good, uh, it's a good reveal. It's, yeah, like uh, that and what's up, the deal with the Cyhawk are the two real mysteries under, underlying this whole series so far. So to actually get progress on one of those is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it it sort of fits together. You've got Emmett and whatever investigating these kids before, and I guess he had his own like psychic powers himself, or like yeah, he basically had Wayne's powers, right? Just kind of pushing people. And so, um, whether Derek has powers, I guess not, but not that we know of. But with, you know, he's connected enough that to Emmett that explains sort of, you know, stealing the list, selling the list, all of that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it, it works, I think, well in the story and it kind of fills in this backstory for several issues we've had. So I yeah. like it. Perhaps Derek has the greatest powers of all, right? You know, money and government connections. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's overthrowing elections on a, like a weekly basis. And uh, oh, don't worry, it's in Eastern Europe. It's not here. Or anything. Don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah, he's uh, trying to get some Nazi guy uh, running for office until Mark Hazard runs into him. We had a contract. Maybe that's you why took care of John. So freaked out, you know, like he knew the contract was with Derek. <laughs> um, Connection. Yeah. I like the life on the reservation is pretty normal-fied, but, you know. Yeah, they didn't play into, like, weird stereotypes or anything. I think we should talk about and grade this comic, don't you? 
This is a great comic to grade. I've given it a lot of thought, more than usual. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm still hit, hitting about a B on this. I'm happy with it, but not, you know, I don't, even though we do get sort of an answer to a long running question. Um, well, and Wayne ran the emotional gamut this issue, right? From happy to angry <laughs> to, to sad. He's got that teenage angst cranked to 11 now. Yeah. Right. He's gone from like a angry 80s teen to a, he'll be like a, he's on the border of an angry 90s teen. It's pure <laughs> nihilism. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I'll have to like capture and share the image somewhere, but the one of the last panels where he, like they're leaving the reservation and you know, like, well, we should go because you guys are in danger. And also, well, we don't think Wayne could handle sticking around with his girlfriend, <laughs> his ex-girlfriend here. Uh, but he's got the like shoulder backpack slung over one shoulder, looking back, looking sad kind of look to him. So. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, you, you ever watched that old, uh, incredible hulk tv show like it would oh, end yeah. with bruce banner like hitchhiking out of town with that sad piano music playing over it that would exactly. be perfect yes <laughs> yeah i'm going a minus i like this one okay fair enough i think uh i'm i'm, I'm happy to have like sequential issues where like things are happening even if this is kind of like the end of the the little part here like we finally have um like a villain revealed right and we've got some backstory you know the kids are kind of working together so we've, we've sort of moved along story-wise and from them always kind of arguing and you know stumbling around to you know maybe now they're uh, starting to figure things out you know everybody's had their single issue where you know we kind of focused on them and their background and such and, I'm ready to move on to exciting things. So I'm kind of hoping that's what happens coming up next. Certainly, yeah. The this like training session was, you know, kind of refreshing as we haven't done that in almost any of the books yet. And so yeah, having people realize they can use their powers together to greater effect. Um, hopefully we'll have like more um impressive displays <laughs> coming up with that. Yeah. True, though they're still trying to hide, I guess. So, yeah, but uh, make a good case. Did I shoot too much from the hip in my grade? Uh, uh, I don't know. You got to stick I'll with your gut first impression. Stick I think. with my gut. I didn't think we mentioned um, there was a next at the bottom. There was Anastasia Inushin, faith healer or cult captive? Question mark. I'm 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 praying this is going to be like the. Uh, yeah, the faith healer uh, gimmick that I I was wanting from either her or Stephanie in DP seven. Yeah, just go out and be a faith healer. People won't won't, won't blink twice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like something that would happen in California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, this is years before like that that cult that was waiting for the um, was it a comet or something? Yeah, they should. Yeah, uh, yeah. Had a few years yet left. I don't know. They're always popping up, and actual cults, you know, are coming and going all the time. You just don't notice them unless they all do something dramatic. Cult of the white event, man. 
was, I, I had just come across something from that NXIVM thing or something today where it's like, how did like several prominent actresses from genre TV shows all get dragged into this weird sex cult? I don't know. Canadian? <laughs> I don't know. Right? Was that the one with the actress from like Smallville or was that another thing? Yeah, like Smallville. There was one from like Battlestar Galactica. There's, I don't know. Yeah, there may be another one. I can't remember. But um, yeah. It's, it's psychology, man. <laughs> we do weird things. <laughs> we'll save it for that it, when that we actually read that issue and see if there's any. I guess we can give the rundown of all of our favorite cults. All right. California yeah, is a fertile ground for it. But, um... <laughs> True. Uh, but we actually have a letters page at the end of this issue. Is this the first Cyforce letters page? Or... I think so. Yeah. I should have been keeping track better because it's we've only had like one of each book and maybe only half of them. So, um... yeah. Yeah, there wasn't like a crazy amount of interesting things going on here. It's mostly like praising letters. Um, <clears throat> there's two that I thought were kind of interesting, at least interesting enough to mention. Um, one person who signed their letter, Safari Gene, which is like the left side middle letter. Um, in the end, she says, and as for Kathy's shoes, never again have have her or Stasi for that matter, or never again have her or Stasi for that matter wear green and pink skirts or shirts and shoes and Michael Jackson type fashions. Okay. I know the guys and gals might not exactly have their choice of style and color being in the runaway home, but you don't want readers to throw up all over the page. Parentheses, at least female readers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it seemed really out of left field. <laughs> I think, well, pink and green was like a preppy uh, style. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's <laughs> in, a, in a book where you don't have costumes, everyone wear, has to wear normal clothes. And we probably don't notice half of the, like, if they're off base on what teenagers would have actually been wearing in 1986. Cause, yeah. It doesn't seem like it's too much of a like MTVized version of it. But then she lays into the Cyhawk, which is great. I'm assuming she uh, maybe as time grinds on, Cyhawk can change his outfit too. No offense, but I think it might just be a tad corny for a bird man wearing tasseled boots and a skirt like wrap as he flies around all over the world. <laughs> Jeez, didn't Simonson design Cyhawk probably? It's like <laughs> I, I think there was, yeah. I'm not going to argue with Walt Simonson. He's got great graphic design skills. <laughs> well, if we want to send 36 year too late angry response, the address and <laughs> for this person is there. They're still around or alive. Hmm. The, uh, I don't know where that is somewhere in Illinois. Yeah. I did Google like someone who, uh, like won a contest in Marvel Age or something, and there's like that family at least is still in this small town in the Midwest, and it's like okay, maybe have like the their prizes or <laughs> in a little like wall mount prize possession kind of thing. Well, the the new universe when they did the slogan con or not the slogan contest, the quiz contest, they were giving away like a Marvel jacket, which was 
tricky to try and figure out what that was, but and the original art, so yeah. somewhere out there, somebody got yeah. something. Yeah. And then the other thing I thought was notable is, um, you know, someone said, "I can't wait to see crossovers. Please make them with Starbrand, DP Seven, and especially Justice and such." And we've seen some of those actually. Um, and the editorial response was, as you already know, Kenneth Connell, he who wields the star brand, did make an appearance in Spitfire and the Troubleshooters, and we have a Cyforce slash DP7 crossover in the planning stages that should surprise even us. Thanks for the vote of confidence, Travis. So, well, I guess we'll be on the lookout for that. Wow. They do not uh, shy away from crossovers in the DP7 crew. Hey, let's put them together with Kicker Zinc. Hey, let's put them together with Cyforce. <laughs> Could you get more guys on the page at one time? <laughs> well, I don't remember a Cyforce crossover when reading DP7, but it's been years, so that could be in there. And I definitely hadn't read all of Cyforce before. I'm I'm going in blind to these, so um, uh, but yeah, it'd be interesting. I don't, I don't know how they'd get them together since they're a few states away, but yeah. <laughs> DP's seven will have to get out of the clinic first and then get out of Wisconsin, neither of which they've done successfully yet. But I do remember something about a, a connection. So I'll, I, I don't know how that develops because, yeah, even when I was reading it, I was only reading one half of it. So, yeah. Um, Tyrone's astral form and the antibody fly to the middle of America and meet in the middle or something. Kind of. <laughs> Uh, Ebony and Ivory was a popular song <laughs> yeah. back then. I was, uh, let's see, there's a, a good, uh, what could be more hot than the official handbook of the Marvel New Universe? I'd look, get it, and I know many others who would too. I think never made uh, one, <laughs> they never did. Um, I think people have done some blog posts that are, um, close, and I can't remember for sure whether like in the latter days of the um, new universe, if they started sort of posting things like that in the, mm. um, you know, letters page or what new, the universe news. So stuff like that, hopefully we'll, we'll um, collect once we get into it, you know, we start seeing it and we can put it together and put it on the website or something for people. That would be the dream. The dream. Unfortunately, yeah, it won't be like a full Mark Gruenwald production of novel you know, material which we've written, which we can't do. Hey, nobody got time for that. You're the one always talking about Disney's lawyers coming after us. Too. <laughs> um, let's see. Just have to call it satire or something. I don't know. <laughs> and there's some uh... draw funny mustaches on all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. And monocles. Don't forget the monocle. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, it doesn't quite count. <laughs> um, there's some interesting ads in this go-around month that we wanted to mention. Yeah, yeah. The back page is is uh, quite memorable. <clears throat> I remember everything from like that summer had this. The wedding of the year and you're invited to join Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson as they tie the knot in the amazing Spider-Man annual number 21. Also take a special look back at their relationship in Marvel saga. Number 22. Remember saga. 
Um, not really. It was the one where they sort of took things that were chronologically happening at the same time. Oh, and, yeah. Like, we did okay. together into a story with sort of like clipping out the art and little text pieces here and there. That would also be fun to do with the new universe if we uh, feel frisky in a, in a couple months. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's funny. Like this is this is the wedding that you know vexed future editors and like we must keep him young and single and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So if that has eighty seven <laughs> and they what nixed it around two thousand and five. Hmm. Uh, I mean, Ed was a generation. That's a, and then yeah, you can't change things without making both halves unhappy with you. So yeah, um, of course, Spider Man has been roughly the same age since Stan Lee. So <laughs> yeah, the um, picture. It's a nice picture of the uh, happy couple in by I'd say John Romita Senior. Maybe. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the cover of that annual issue, which I don't think is crazy overpriced or anything. So It was kind of a jam issue, as if I remember, with, you know, pages by different uh, artists, guest artists and things uh, like yeah. that. Those are always kind of interesting, but <clears throat> I never really enjoy them. It's like not something you want to go back and read and are, and are excited about. Yeah, it's like everyone wants to get their their fingers in the pie, but it's it's kind of unsatisfying if you're like a regular reader of it and you're like, Oh, where'd all these guys, you know, uninvited guests come from, uh, kind of yeah. coming up the works and short story about, you know, Peter Parker having to put on the Spider-Man suit to go and rescue a caterer or something. <laughs> <laughs> I totally made that up. I have not read that comic. <laughs> yeah. They're always doing stuff like that. I think most of the other stuff was pretty, you know, the standard, um goofy stuff uh there's a nice one for robotech the role-playing game which yeah. again reminds me that spitfire could have been more mecha like if it, they you know the ideas were out there yeah i know it seemed unrealistic but you know. <laughs> anyway um the other thing was the centerfold something very spicy there a uh, two-page <laughs> issue or uh, ad from uh, TSR, the uh, guys behind uh, Dungeons and Dragons at the time, and <clears throat> there are two separate ads that are just placed together for convenience, I guess. But um, one of them is a board game that I don't remember at all. It's something they'd picked up from SPI, which was a company, smaller company that they'd taken over at some point. I can barely read it on my copy. Is it Onslaught? D-Day to the Rhine? Yes. Okay. So it's some uh, World War II, um, I don't know, simulation. Now's your Um, chance to pound the panzers. (laughs) Sounds kind of sexual. Not in public, please. (laughs) But the pounding your panzers. The left side is a real uh, puzzler because the um, ad is for the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons a hardcover rulebook, Manual of the Planes. But it is uh, the image, cover image, is completely flipped upside down. So on top it says how to deal with pandemonium and more than 35 other planes. And you'll remember this is, if you're an old D&D fan, 
uh, all about like the outer planes and inner planes, elemental planes, and all the places where you know, the gods and all these uh, demons and stuff hang out. Um, like these would be the areas from which you would summon things. That too, yeah. You would mm -hmm. have uh, astral forms or ethereal forms and travel there if you wanted to. So you would think this is like a weird misprint, but if you turn it over, the text says pandemonium, a land where down can be up and the best AD&D &D game players can be knocked head over heels. Mm. Now you can travel to destinations even most airlines can't reach, introducing TSR's annual of the planes. Uh, spell effects for ethereal and astral traveling in the adventure world of the AD&D game. So I think they were doing this on purpose because pandemonium is crazy or something. And, yeah. I'm guessing but, most people did what I did and said, huh, that looks screwy. They printed it upside down and then never read the text. <laughs> I think they really uh, that, that wasn't the best idea I've ever seen. Definitely. It's tough to stop in the middle of a comic book and read an ad, you know? I mean, if you're like, if their thought was, we'll make it so uh, weird looking that you'll you'll be forced to stop and ask yourself what's going on, I think they overestimated their appeal. Yeah. I mean, it worked for us, but a little late. Yeah. yeah. At the time, I'm sure I didn't think of it at all. But, probably um, out of print long since yeah let's say uh this is the i think they call it 1.5 D, &D 1.5 um edition so they haven't put out the second edition yet um with the new rule books with a lot of new uh information. okay that's the stuff i would have i would have known more about yeah so it's a uh interesting to counterpoint to kind of track the development of uh, role-playing games, D&D, &D, and comic books. They were kind of you know, similar spheres of interest for like teenagers at the time. So, Yeah, it's only a matter of time before the video game ads start hitting in full force, too. Yeah, yeah, that's slowly starting, I think. But yeah, that'll start creeping up as well. Um, yeah, the, the like rise and fall of TSR and the makes is an interesting story is like the, the rise and fall of marvel which you know uh re was you know really hitting here uh, a few years later is in bankruptcy thanks to a lot of financial shenanigans and you know a lot of stuff that like that goes on in the american uh, financial system if you are paying attention to it anyway anyway <laughs> so yeah I guess that's it for this week's episode. Uh, so next time we've got two more books. Uh, let's see. I'll be looking at The Merc, number 11. Mark Hazard goes after revenge against his Iranian captors and the man who betrayed them to him to them. Retribution is written by Doug Murray, illustrated by Gray Morrow. Or shorter, Hazard evens the score with his Iranian captors. Hmm. I'm still uncomfortable with the name change, the Merc. I, I mean, I, I'll just throw it out there, but uh, it doesn't. It's not the official name. I think even at the end, I don't know. Yeah, it's no code name Spitfire. Code name Merkman. Merkman. <laughs> the Merc shooters. 
Merkman and the tree copters. <laughs> so yeah, so you got Merck uh next time. Next time I've got Kickers Inc. number eleven. If Kickers Inc. was created to assist helpless people in desperate need, then why must Kickers, Darlene, Magna Conti, Brickwall, and Suicide disobey an illegal alien family cruelly exploited by mob drug merchants? This stunning <laughs> is a really tough <laughs> sentence. That's uh, like this... a whole paragraph of uh, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Well, the, the stunning answer lies in in question mark we trust <laughs> okay this is a really somebody need to rewrite this thing written by dwight john zimmerman penciled by larry alexander and inked by jerry Heloak. um short version maybe is better kickers ink number 11 jack won't be fooled twice but jack doesn't realize that this time nobody's fooling oh okay i like that one a lot better <laughs> yeah it, it tells me nothing but it i can read it you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the uh, they tried to. Uh, so someone should have done like a word uh, count on that uh, previous yeah. paragraph. Come on, man! Do they, Elevator they... pitch needs to be two minutes. Come on, wrap it up. Yeah, and I think the word disobey just doesn't work there. Disobey an illegal alien family. Uh, deport. <laughs> you, I mean, anyway. we could we could like diagram this sentence and it would look like a pile of spaghetti. (laughs) So let's not (laughs) anyway. uh, So yeah, that's it for today. Uh, Kickersinc.com email us, especially about our slogan contest at new universe podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you back at the spinner rack.